Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Well, good morning, everybody. I was I was getting worried. I was like, oh, boy. Don't make me wake you guys up. You know I'm good at that, right? I am the loud of, of the pastors. I'm the loud one. So uh, I'll try and keep it contained. But we're going to mix it up a little bit this morning. I want to kind of get a feel for where our church is at with a few things. Because some of us in here like to live on the wild side. You like the adrenaline. You like to just kind of play life a little more uh, carelessly, let's put it this way. So I'm going to show a few pictures here. And we'll see kind of how they resonate here. So if you love to live on the wild side, the first thing I think of is the roller coaster. Okay? Some of us love roller coasters. Now, this one in particular, uh, I can't remember what the name of it is, but what you do is uh, the starting is actually behind these bushes here. What they do is they shoot you up this loop at about 85 miles an hour. So you go up the loop, come back down, twist your way down, and then finish. So do I have anyone who's, who's going to jump on that with me next time we see? A few of us, okay? How many of you would pay for me to go if you didn't have to go yourself? A few of us, okay? Some of us don't like roller coasters. Now, I'm not here to judge because here's the next thing. This next picture I'm going to show, I'm all about. But my wife, maybe not so much. So let's, let's show this one here. Okay, cruise ship. Anytime God wants us to plant a church on a cruise ship, I will volunteer. I would happily plant a church on a cruise ship. Uh, I would I would even volunteer my salary if that's what it needed to take. Now, on the other hand, my wife, uh, she doesn't want to go on a cruise. Not her thing. Not because you get unlimited food and warm weather and activities and fun and all other good stuff. I mentioned I want to go on a cruise before. Um, it, it's it's the, what if, what if the Titanic happens again? It, 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 it's... It's what happens if this boat goes down and we're swimming with the sharks. Like that—that that is what goes through Meg's brain when this happens. Which is precisely why uh, she would definitely not do this next thing if we're gonna live on the wild side. Shark tanks. Who is going in a shark tank with me? A few of us. Okay. Some of you won't want to go on a roller coaster, but you'd swim with the sharks. This, this, this is fun. Okay. Personally, I think I would do this. Um, however. Part of me also thinks when it's time to actually, like, you know, sink in the water with your wetsuit and they start throwing the chum around you, I might be like, I'll pass. Like, I, I will observe from the top. Now, up till this point, um, if you've loved living on the wild side, you can empathize this. And it's been quite clear why uh, this is an element of danger. Now, the next picture I'm going to show you a little more subtle, but I'm not going to explain it either, Okay. So if you live on the wild side, you are a person who will, when you are in the airport on your way to a trip, you will eat at this establishment. If you enjoy a little element of danger and living on the wild side, you will slam some Taco Bell before you get onto an airplane. Now, I'm not going to explain why that's dangerous, but I think we can all get there, right? We can all explain why this might be a little element of danger. And uh, Lord, help the person sitting next to you. Last picture. If you like to live on the wild side, you might go for a little rock climb, okay? When we were in Boulder, Colorado, I will never forget. 
us driving into this ravine, and there was mountains everywhere on each side. And at the very tip top, you saw the smallest, smallest red dot where the person was just about to summit where they were. And you could see uh, the, the, the actual lines running down and the carabiners all the way up from where they had uh, done that. And part of me was thinking, I want to do that. And part of me was thinking, I don't have enough gumption to do that in my own power, right? There's, there's no way I was doing that. But the problem with it, with any one of these things, is there's always that element of what if. If you don't like roller coasters, it might be because you're afraid of heights. It might be because you're sitting there going, what if it breaks? What if a wheel falls off and I go plumbing to my death and that's the end of me? What if I go on a cruise ship and we do hit an iceberg and we do go down and there's not enough lifeboats and my husband has to you know, let go of the floating door and he sinks down to the bottom? What happens if that happens, right? What happens if the shark tank fails and the shark gets in there and eats me? We have all of these what ifs that fly through our brains when we go through life, kind of like the what if in Psalm 124. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when men attacked us, when their anger flared against us, they would have swallowed us alive. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. The difference between our what-ifs and David's what-if is a little bit more clear. To us, the what-if is, what if this bad thing happens? What if the, the everything possible conceivable thing goes wrong and we are in a bad situation? We play the what-if game that way. David's what-if is a little different. He's saying, if the Lord had not been with us, we would have been in a different spot. If you open this, if you have a Bible and you open this, at the top of this psalm, it'll say it's a song of ascent. What that means is that's one of the songs that they would sing on their way up to Jerusalem. If I was going to say, hey, we're going up to the North Shore, we're going up to Cross Lake, we're going up to Brainerd, we're going up to Manitoba, we all understand that it's a geographic up. You're going north. In Jerusalem, they always said, I'm going up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem sat on a hill. So even if you were going south to get to Jerusalem, you would have to go up. You'd have to walk up the hill. And on their way up this hill, they would sing these songs of ascent. And realistically, they're kind of like an anthem. Kind of like when you go get your Christmas tree and you're singing, Tis the Yes, I just danced on stage. That was not pleasant. But the other anthems that we have, if you go to a baseball game, this kind of along this season of life, if you go to a baseball game and they have the starting lineups, what's the first thing they do? You have the national anthem. Everybody stands up. Everybody puts their hand on their heart or behind or whatever it is, and we all sing this song together. It's an anthem. It's an anthem that declares, here's what happened in the past those that sacrificed for our freedom, those that gave their lives so that we could be free in 2023. We sing of what happened in the past as an anthem for how we live now. We remember what happened in the past as a result of us being free here and now. This song of ascent in Psalm 124 is the same way. Because here's where it switches in verse 6. Praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare. 
The snare has been broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We've talked about power in the last few weeks, how powerful God is. We've talked about worship and how we are called to worship in all seasons of life. Times when it's easy to worship, times when it's tough to worship. But here's where it all comes together in Psalm 124, where David is singing of how powerful God is, how he he helped the Israelites through difficult times, but then he's also praising God for their present help here and now. I've mentioned in the past that whenever the Bible says something twice or it repeats itself, it's the author's way of underlining it. It's their way of saying, hey, pay attention to this. I'm going to say this again. So if you notice, David says, hey, if the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, I'm going to say it again. If the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, we would have been destroyed. David is just continuing to come back to God was there for us. What if God wasn't? What would our life look like if God had not brought us? To me, I think what's so critical to understand about the Psalms is David was a very humble. He was very humble. We'll talk about that in a second. But in this Psalm, he's it's a different kind of humility. He's saying, God helped us through this. And had he not, we might not have made it through. But I praise God. Because our snare has been broken. Because we have been set free and he is our present help. Humility and fear are two very different things. Fear says, I can't do this. Humility says, I can't do this without God. David was humble. He was a man who, if you read through the Psalms and you go through the plan, you kind of see how Psalm after Psalm after Psalm after Psalm, David is saying, God is my refuge. God is my strength. When I was up against the big army, when I was running for my life, when I had nothing going for me, God was my help. God was my refuge. He was my strength. He was my help. And he goes through this whole thing through his life of how God was there for him. But we can't mistake the fact that David was humble and not a victim. David was not falling on their sword and going, oh, the Lord. Like, like, thanks be to God, but the whole world is against me, and I can't do anything, and life is terrible, and I'm just going to sit here and not do anything because life is awful. David always spoke about his humility, but he rarely spoke about his fear because they're not the same thing. This psalm is one of defense. This is a song of victory. They sung about how God rescued them and took them out, but don't mistake, this was a sulking song. This was a song of victory. We were in bad shape. Things were not looking good, but God was there for us, so now we're going to sing about it. Now we're going to celebrate about it. There was a help that inspired their freedom to not live in hiding, but to live in victory. I love the language he uses here about their, their lives and their souls were like a bird. Verse 6, praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their, by their teeth, we've escaped like a bird out of the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken, and we've escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. 
I don't know if you guys see these because I don't see them driving down the road very often, but a foul or snare, have you ever seen one of those? I sure haven't. I had to look it up. But a foul or snare, what they would do is they would have a piece of cord that was suspended from a tree branch. And when a bird would step on it, it was like a slip knot, so it would grab the, the, the bird's foot. So when it tried to fly away, it couldn't go very far until it got tired enough to where it just gave up. And then they would come over and the rest is history, okay? So the snare that he's talking about here is he was, he's basically saying our lives, our souls were like a fouler snare. There are people in this world who were trying to kill us, trying to take care of us, trying to eliminate us, but their snare, their trap has been broken. It's been broken and we've escaped. Therefore, our help is in the name. This was a song of freedom. A song to remember, but a song of freedom. Something to inspire them to live a life that was not held back by the what if. The title of my message today is What If, because we play the what if game a lot. We play the what if and all the bad things that can come our way. But this psalm is a different kind of what if. This is a psalm of what if. The same God that was there for us before is the same God who's going to be with us now. Then what's going to happen? All the good things that come with it. What if we played that same game? What if we started to talk about how God was there for us in the past, and so therefore we're going to live free. We're going to live inspired. What if we spoke that over our church, over our families, over our lives? What if we stopped letting the snare entrap us in the things that God's calling us because here's what I've under, come to understand about David and his life. Here's what I've come to understand about how he lived. For him, humility should draw us closer to Jesus, not further from our calling and our purpose. Your humility and your ability to say, hey, I can't do this alone. God, you're bigger than this. This is bigger than me. God, I need you. That's humility. Humility says I need help from God, help that I can't conjure up myself. That's humility. But humility should not keep you from stepping out into the big things that God's calling you to do. That's fear. There's a difference. Fear will keep you from taking a step out. Humility won't. Humility acknowledges that I can't do this alone. But there's a power to it because you know I can't do this without God. We have this understanding that we don't have all the answers. We don't possess all of the infinite ability to just make everything perfect all of the time. We just sometimes don't even have enough energy and fight left inside of us to just keep on putting one foot in front of the other. And whether it's literally or metaphorically, we have these points in our life, things that happen that drive us to our knees. Again, literally or metaphorically. To where you sit there and you go, God, I can't make it through this without you. This is bigger than me. This heaviness, this news, this weight, we have all of these things that bring us down. And it brings us to God. Where it says, you are our refuge, you are our strength, we need you. We have these moments, and I think every single person in this room can understand and realize a moment where it's like, I don't know where else to go. God, I'm at your mercy now. We have these moments. But don't mistake that humility 
Because David switches this psalm in verse 6. For the first five verses, he talks about God was here. God did do this. God did help us. But now we're going to flip it to the present tense. Now God is our help right here and right now. Now we're going to live different because we know that God has been there for us and will be there for us in the future. What if? What if? What if God was on our side versus what was against us? Because here's what's so easy. It is so easy for us to play the what if game. There's enough algorithms and metrics out there that you can play the what if game just by default. They have probability of which fantasy football player you should start over the other one on a peer projection basis. There's enough algorithms to just predict and calculate risk inherently. So we play this what if game. What if this economic forecast that they're talking about actually does come into fruition and we have a 2008 all over again? What if? What happens if I lose my job? What if I step out from this job into a new job and this job is sales and commission? What if I don't make it? What if I'm not good enough? What if I can't provide for my family and we lose the house and we lose the car and we play the what if game 25 dominoes down the road? What if I tell my wife what's really been going on and she leaves? What if I tell my husband what's really been actually, I've been feeling, but I'm scared what he's going to do? What if my position gets eliminated? What if I get the call from the doctor's office of the news I really didn't want to hear? What if this happens and then that happens and then that happens? What if? And the more you play the what if game, the farther down the road you get of bad news. Right? We're really good at playing the what if game. We're really good. We're really good at just theorizing what could possibly go wrong in our life and it puts us in a defensive position this fear of mind this paranoia state of mind where the very security that we're trying to keep intact is gone and it scares the daylight out of us what if i told you there was a different way to do it not some cheap like cutely quote of just do this and all your problems will go away but what if we had a true genuine hope that we could put our fear or that we could put our security in that would be greater than our fear what if we could truly rely upon the rock that is jesus and trust him for the rest because here's what i know when this psalm was penned the israelites were marching up the hill to jerusalem on their way to celebrate a holiday and they were singing this psalm with joy if the lord had not been for us let, me, let Israel hear, if the Lord had not been for us, we would have been destroyed. But thanks be to God, we're not. We're free, baby. We're set. We're good. That is what they are singing in Psalm 124. And it's a song of joy. Church, this morning, as I was just praying through this week, and I was at just kind of just wondering what we were going to speak about today, this idea of dreams kind of just came rushing to me. Because we've gotten really bad at dreaming. Because we've gotten really good at being logical. We've gotten really good at playing the what-if game that we have stopped dreaming. I'll never forget, there was a, my senior year of high school, I had a good friend of mine. Uh, we both went to the same church, and for some reason, I'm not entirely sure why, uh, but the pastor gave us the keys to the church and the security codes. And uh, 
we do not not really trustworthy enough at that point. Uh, we definitely have played mini golf in the church and done a few other things that probably weren't the best. Uh, but he allowed us to have the keys. And so I'll never forget there was one night where a buddy of mine said, hey, let's, let's just go to the church. I just feel like we should, we should go over there and just kind of spend some time. Okay, sure. We went over there. And it's not like we were hyper-spiritual, because I can assure you at this point in my life, I was not. But he was kind of just rustling through something. So we just turned on some music. We just kind of started just sitting there and praying and thinking through things. Can I tell you, I'll never forget that night. Because as I just kind of spent some time just away from all the distractions, away from all the worries, just kind of just spending time with Jesus, there were dreams and hope that started rushing to me that felt way bigger. Dreams of things like, hey, what if, what if maybe you worked in a church, not in a dental office? At that time, as a senior, I was ready and committed to being a dentist. I kind of had this thought: what if this was your job? What if, what if you had a wife and kids? All these things I never had thought about up until this point. But when I got to the church, when I spent time with the Lord, these dreams just started rushing to me, and it wasn't the kind of dreams that felt like a pie in the sky, hope, let's just conjure up something, but they were hopes and dreams that felt tangible, that felt real, and that definitely felt out of touch. They felt so much bigger and so much stronger than anything I could do on my own, and it scared me, but it also filled me with hope. It was both and. Dreams that felt so big and so out there that I wasn't sure how they were going to happen, but I hoped that they would. It was easy to dream. Some of us have gotten really bad at dreaming because life has kind of hit us in the face sometimes. Some of us are naturally dreamers by default. You can go to your son's t-ball league and come up with a vision statement, core values. What if we built a stadium with a digital scoreboard and all these different things. Some of us are really good at dreaming. But some of us are really bad at dreaming. We can't think outside the box. We can't think big. And it's not that you don't have the ability to. It's that you're just really good at being logical. So good that your subconscious is going to stop a dream before it even becomes an idea. I know that to be true because that's how I am. I'm really bad at because before I can even come up with a dream, I feel like I shut it down because it doesn't feel possible. If you have a dream that feels impossible, that's a really good dream. That means it probably wasn't you who came up with it. And the thing is, each and every one of us are born with these dreams. Scripture is full of this notion that God has plans for us, big plans that are bigger than ourselves. But here's what happens. I'm going to say something that's going to upset some, some people right now. I grabbed this leaf off our tree this morning. It's green. In two months, it's not going to be. It's going to be fall soon, everybody. See, I was waiting for it. I even gave you the layup, okay? First service, I almost got stoned off the, off the stage when I, when I said fall was coming here. But I picked this tree or this leaf off our tree this morning because I kind of had one of my flashbacks to science class last night when I was kind of just refamiliarizing myself with this message. And I have a bit of an illustration this morning because if you are a science nerd like me and you enjoy things like this, 
uh, you remember things for a while. This leaf has pigments inside of it that make it green. There's a pigment called chlorophyll. I'm flashing it back to 10th grade biology, all right? Chlorophyll is in this leaf. It's what makes it green. It's what helps it grow. But inside of this leaf, you also have different pigments that will, you know, that are orange and yellow and red, which is what you see in the fall, right? And so naturally, I used to think that in the fall, those pigments kind of just reproduce themselves and they get stronger and all the rest of it. But what I found out in 10th grade biology class is that the same pigments that turn it green, I'm sorry, that turn it yellow and orange and red are in this leaf right now. The only reason you can't see them is because there's so much green chlorophyll, it surrounds everything else. You can't see the other pigments because there's so many other pigments inside of this leaf that are green. But in the fall, when the temperature drops and the snow is coming, there's no more need for the chlorophyll to grow the tree. All the chlorophyll dies. And what shines through is the red and the orange and the yellow, the very things that were there the whole time. I truly believe there are dreams inside of your heart that are there right now that you feel like you can't grab hold of because so many other things trying to crowd out your dreams. Those things might be distractions. Those things might be fears. Those things might be a false sense of security. Those, those things might just be, I got too much going on. I got too much going here. I can't take time to pursue this dream. But the point remains the same. We have these God-given dreams that sometimes get choked out by the worries and the what-ifs of life. And I believe God put this message on my heart for us to say enough is enough. It's time to chase the dreams that God has called us to do, the dreams that are bigger than we could possibly imagine, the dreams that are wider than we could possibly imagine, things that we don't think we're capable of because we're not. But through his power, we are. That is what I believe God is calling us to do and not get drowned out by the what if. Just like the man in Bethesda. John chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Let me break this down. In Jerusalem, Jesus went up to Jerusalem, just like they did in Psalm 124. And when he went up to Jerusalem, he didn't go to the sanctuary He didn't go to the temple. He didn't go to the holiest place in all of Israel. He went to the hospital. They didn't have actual hospitals in 30 AD. But they had this area in Jerusalem called Bethesda, right next to the sheep. Which you might imagine was not the nicest gate in all of Israel. It's where the sheep came in. The dirty, nasty Taco Bell-filled sheep. And they Taco Belled everywhere. And it was nasty. 
I'm not trying to be gross. It's true. This gate was actually nasty. Yet you had all these people who were very ill that were next to this pool called Bethesda because this pool, every once in a while, it was a still pool and all of a sudden it would just start to bubble. Almost as if you turned on the jets of your jacuzzi at your house. So this pool, what would happen, and the reason why they had this is what would happen is you would, if you were sick, if the pool started to stir, the first person that could get into that pool would be healed. They're not sure if it was an old wives' tale. They weren't sure if it was urban legend. They weren't sure if it was inherently spiritual. They're not sure. But all we know is that this pool would bubble and the first person in would be healed. It was every man for himself. Anyone who was sick, anyone who was ill, anyone who was paralyzed, they would camp out right next to this pool because they know if I'm the first one in there, I'll get healed. Jesus goes up to this pool, sits next to the pool, and finds a man who had been there for a long, long time. He had been paralyzed for 30 And a lot of times we read things in the Bible, but it's hard to actually connect the point. But let me tell you how long 38 years is. 38 years from this point right now, 38 years ago was July 23rd, 1985. A lot happened in 1985. A lot has happened since 1985. Two big reasons, Riley and I. But beyond that, think about this. In July 20th, or July 23rd, 1985, Michael Jordan was Rookie of the Year. He was Rookie of the Year 38 years ago. It's a long time ago. Now he's got a whole documentary about his legacy. In 1985, Ronald Reagan had just started his second term of his presidency. Lots happened since Ronald Reagan was in the office. In 1985, the Motorola Dynatac 8000X came out. I should have got a picture because it made me chuckle this week. If you don't know what a Motorola Dynatac 8000X is, it's the, it's the ammo container slash cell phone that you had way back in the day, the one that was incredibly heavy, and you had to like pull it up and then call. First cell phone came out in 1985. 1985 was also a great year of cinematography. The Breakfast Club. The Goonies, and Back to the Future all came out that year. Great movies, great year, right? The movies have come out since 1985. And if we have any gamers in the room, you'll appreciate this one. 1985 was the first year Super Mario Brothers came out for the Nintendo NES. Lots happened in 38 years, hasn't it? A lot of time. And for a man who is paralyzed, who wants nothing more than to not be paralyzed anymore, 38 years is a long time of clinging on to a hope and a dream that's not coming true. 38 years is a long time of you going, oh, I just, I want to get to that pool. I have to get to that pool. I have to get better. That's a long time of sitting next to this pool, baking in the Israeli sun, just hoping the water's going to stir and just hoping you can get in there. It's a long time of clinging to a dream that's not coming true. And we know he was discouraged because when Jesus asked him, Sir, do you want to get well? Do you want me to take away your paralyzed? 
you want me to make you good again? What was his response? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Jesus is asking him, hey, do you want your dream come true? First thing out of his mouth is all the reasons he can't come true. To me, that shows a heart that is hard. A heart that has been let down time and time and time again. A heart that has not seen their dreams come true. But I want you to see what Jesus does that echoes Psalm 124. After he gave him his excuses in verse 7, here's what Jesus says. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat, and he walked. 38 years. This man wanted something that he couldn't have. And Jesus comes in a moment, prays for him, he gets up, and he walks. Church, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you walked in with today. But when I look at John chapter 5, when I look at Psalm 124, when I pray and I ask God what he's doing in my life, in the lives of the church, and I'm asking him where we're going, the thing I hear and the thing I see is it's time to get up. It's time to stop letting the snare, stop letting life punch you in the face. It's time to get up and start living a what if. Not a what if with bad, but a what if. What if God truly was who he says he was? What if God, who is powerful and strong, God who is there for us, would start to breathe in our life again too? What if we didn't have to live by the fear and the worries, but what if we could live free? I think there are a lot of us in this room who want something that we start telling ourselves we can't have. What if? What if the dream that's inside of you was a God-given dream? What if he was going to use that dream and use you through that dream to impact somebody who needs him? This man in John chapter 5 told Jesus all the reasons he couldn't have his dream. But Jesus said, if you want it, get up. I'll give you what you're looking for through me. But you got to get up. Can I tell you how scary it probably was? When you're paralyzed for 38 years, the amount of muscle atrophy, the amount of pain, the amount of just crevices and things that your body would just be there. What must have been going through his brain when he's down on the ground and Jesus says, get up. That would have been the scariest thing that that man could have done was to get up in that moment. To try to get up. Because let me tell you something, after 38 years of being let down, someone says get up, that might have been the final straw. Instead, he gets up. After 38 years, he gets up and he walks. It is time for us to trust that God is who he says he is and to get up and walk in the things he has called us to walk into.
I know it might be hard to dream. I know it might be hard to stretch out and do things and be things that God's calling you to do. But let me ask you something. When was the last time God asked you to do something that scared you? Because if it's been a while, it's time to ask you for some scarier things. Because you might not have a dream that feels scary. But if I could be so bold, I would say it. You might not have a dream that's so full of purpose. God doesn't want to make us comfortable so we can sit down. He wants to make us comfortable so we can step out and bring that same comfort to someone else who's comfortable. He didn't break the snare so the bird can continue to walk on the ground. He broke the snare so the bird could get up and fly away. God is going to bring you security. He's going to bring you freedom. He's going to bring you comfort and strength and assurance because he loves you and he cares for you. But in exchange, he wants you to chase the things that are in front of you, to go after the things he's calling you to do. Maybe it means you're going to start a business and you've been on the sidelines, but you know it's time because you know that business is going to impact people. Maybe it's time for you to befriend that somebody that you haven't wanted to befriend because you know they got a lot going on. You don't, I just don't want to get involved in that right now. But it's time for you to befriend them and walk through life with them. Maybe it's you have to step out and get uncomfortable and make that therapy appointment, make that counseling appointment, do something you've not wanted to do, although you know it's the right thing to do. Maybe it's that true. Maybe God's put it on your heart that you need to join a small group. you got to lead a small group. That maybe it's time for you to step out and say, I know I haven't wanted to. Maybe I need to start trusting God even with my finances. Maybe I need to volunteer and serve. Maybe I need to just be commit to coming more. I don't know what it is, but you do. Step into what scares you. Because humility and fear are different. Humility. Trust in what God has done. Because here's the reality. Godly vision is rooted in godly provision. What that means is we can step out into new dreams and new things by looking at what God's done in the past. David fought Goliath, not because he was fearless, but because he had seen God help him wrestle a bear and save him. Peter walked out on the water, not because he had no fear, but because he had seen God calm a storm in his past. And so he knew he could do it again. The disciples stepped out and asked to heal somebody, not because they were scared, not because they knew they had all the power, but they stepped out because they saw God do it before. And if he did it before, it means he's going to do it again. It's time for us to get up and walk. It's time for us to chase the dreams that God's called us to do. It's time for us to sing the song of ascent that says, if God had not done it before, we would have been destroyed. If God wasn't there for us before, we would have been crushed. But praise God, he is our help, the maker of heaven and earth. What if, what if we stopped living defeated and start living because I got news for you. If you believe in Jesus, you are victorious. Maybe not externally, 
But let me tell you something. He's going to bring you through in a powerful way. It's time for us to dream again, church. It's time for us to dream for your life, dream for your family, dream for your kids, dream for our community, dream for our church. Because to dream big is to intentionally look for Jesus. Because when you dream big, you realize this is bigger than me. I need to seek him first. So I got three things for you to do this. Very, really practical. You decide where you're at today. Number one, you got to ask God for a dream. Some of you might not have a big dream right now. But I promise you, he's got dreams for you. Big ones. Ask him. And allow him to see. Don't shut down whatever comes to your heart. Because it just might come true. Second one is this. Carve out some space. It's really hard to dream when you're busy. Really hard to dream when you have no mental capacity to dream. Take your 30-minute car ride and just sit and reflect. Take your evening. Instead of scrolling TikTok and binging Netflix, take 15 minutes and dream. Write them down. Carve out space. And number three, take a step. One thing to have a dream. Another thing to step into it. Sometimes that first step's the scariest one. Where are you at today? You gotta ask God for a dream. You gotta make some room for Him to speak the dream. Or is it time for you to step into it? Because here's the thing. I'm gonna be really honest. God's given me some dreams for our community, for our church, that are big. That scare me a little bit. <laughs> coolest thing is when you rely on him and chase him and take the steps, even the most impossible dreams come true. You would have told me that the dreams that God spoke to me on a church in Sartell in 2013 would actually come into fruition 10 years later. I would have laughed at you. But it challenges me to do the same again. Because not only have the dreams come true, they're better than I thought they would be. Because he has been the one orchestrating things I never knew I wanted or needed. But he did. Time for us to dream. Time for us to get up and walk. It's time for us to walk up to Jerusalem, walk back home, drive back home, walk into our workplace with victory on our lips. Because we know God is with us. Let me pray with you this morning. Lord, I thank you. Jesus, I thank you that we have victory in your name. Because you died on the cross, we have the ability to choose you. We have the ability to come to you with confidence, as Hebrew says. And trust you with our life. So Jesus, today, I ask and I pray that we would walk out of this place, God, not in defeat, not feeling dejected, not feeling like we have a dream that's too big for us, that scares us, but we have a dream that we are excited to chase after, that we have people that we're excited to love and to serve and to care for because we know you're behind it all. So Jesus, today, I pray that whatever it is, 
whenever it comes, I pray that you would speak dreams to our church, that you would give them the ability to have the space to think about them, to process through them, and that you'd give us the power to step into them. Jesus, I pray that in the process, you would just use us to love your people and to build your church. Not the building, not the place, but the group of people together. Jesus, we need you. Help us to dream, but help us to walk. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're excited about your dreams, if you're excited for what God's going to do, can we put our hands together this morning? You can do me a favor. There's a dream you're excited about that you're confident of. Text me. Message me on Facebook. Send us a message to the church on Facebook. Whatever it is. If you have a dream, message me. I'd love to pray with you over that dream. I'd love to stand with you beside that dream as we chase after it together. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.